0: John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word means sent, So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud "'and put it on my eyes. "'He told me to go to Siloam and wash. "'So I went and washed, and then I could see. "'Where is this man?' they asked him. "'I don't know,' he said. "'They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. "'Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud "'and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. "'Therefore the Pharisees also asked him "'how he had received his sight.' He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him.
1: Let's keep reading from verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him he said do you believe in the son of man who is he sir the man asked tell me so that I may believe in him Jesus said you have now seen him in fact he is the one speaking with you then the man said Lord I believed and he worshipped him Jesus said for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thank you, Richard and Beth, for that reading. So how's your eyesight? Now don't worry tonight, we're not going to do an eye test. But on Tuesday, as I was preparing this sermon, I did get a text message from Specsavers, the opticians. Honestly, this is a true story. (laughs) I got a message from them, and it said, Hi, Glenn, your eye test and contact lens health check are due, book now. And I have. Thursday afternoon, I'm going to the opticians. Uh, It's been over a year since my my last eye test, so I guess I'm due one. And... uh, looking forward to what they have to say. (laughs) And, you know, if we're here tonight, uh, I take it that we're concerned about our eyesight, or at least we should be concerned about our eyesight. Um, Some of us here are busy, lots of study, all that time we spend on screens, perhaps the fact that we're just getting a little bit older. um, It all affects our eyes and how we see. And we can tell when we can't see clearly. Perhaps we're losing a little bit of focus. Perhaps, you know, we're having some headaches, and that alerts us to the fact that perhaps we are straining our eyes. How's your spiritual eyesight? And that's much harder to tell, isn't it? Your know, spec savers aren't going to send you a message about that. And yet, it's even more important than our physical sight. We've called this series, The Difference Jesus Makes. And in verse 5 of our passage, he says, I am the light of the world. And he expands on that in verse 39 with these controversial words. For judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see. He says, he gives sight. He illuminates. That he enables us to see God and ourselves in a new light. To appreciate his beauty and goodness and power. But that he's also come that those who see will become blind. That it's possible to claim to see the reality about God. His existence, his character, and who we are, and the nature of our world. And to think that we can see clearly but actually be blind and become more blind. So blind, we're blind to our own blindness. So how can we know if we have spiritual sight? Well, this story will help us. There are three main characters in it, and we'll look at them briefly. And as we do so, ask yourself, Which character am I? Or which character would I like to be? Because as we look at them, from the man we'll learn about spiritual sight, from the Pharisees about spiritual blindness, and from Jesus, why spiritual sight is so important. So first of all, from the man, the blind will see. Now, before this man saw Jesus, Jesus saw him. Several members of St. Ebs are blind or severely visually impaired. And thankfully, attitudes to those who are physically disabled within our society have changed over the years and changed, changed for the better. And yet life's still hard for those brothers and sisters within our church. Many of the things that we take for granted aren't available to them well how much more with this man living in darkness isolated and vulnerable reduced to begging to get through life and along comes jesus and he sees him and heals him and transforms his life and he does it in a strange way with this saliva and mud and washing and yet the man comes home seen for the very first time in his life. It's a miracle. As the man says in verse 21, no one, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. But that's what Jesus has done, because he's the light of the world. But the story doesn't end there, because amazing as this miracle is, it's a sign, it's a pointer, it's a clue to a greater work. That Jesus has come to do of giving spiritual sight. Because we don't know God. We don't love him or serve him or worship him. But Jesus has come so that the blind will see. God wants people to see, to believe in his son. And what we see next is how that happens. Because this man has a growing understanding of who Jesus is. He's now back at home, but his neighbors can't believe their eyes. Is it really you, they say? And he replies, yes, it's me. The man they called Jesus made some mud, and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and and then I could see. Well, it's time to get the religious experts involved. So the man has his first interview with the Pharisees, and this time he calls Jesus, verse 17, a prophet. Well, soon the Pharisees interview him again, but this time they want him to agree with their verdict that he is a sinner. But instead he says, we know that Jesus doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. Now, this growing understanding, it's a slow, gradual process. He doesn't have all the answers. In fact, he's honest about what he doesn't know. He hasn't got all his theology sorted. But one thing he does know, I was blind, but now I see. This is a work of God in his life, and he's the evidence of it. But we can also see this man has a growing courage. Now, we might think his life would get easier now that he can see. And in one sense, it is better. But pretty quickly, he faces opposition. Now, okay, a few neighbors are skeptical. But then the Pharisees call in his parents. But unlike them, this man isn't afraid to speak up. And even though the religious experts of his day are all against him, he sticks to his testimony And he pushes back. He's not intimidated by them. He gives a clear, logical explanation of what's happened. He sees more clearly than they do. And his new sight costs him a great deal. He's thrown out of the synagogue. His hopes of rebuilding his life seem over before they've only begun. So he grows in his understanding... And in his courage. And yet even then he still needs an encounter with Jesus. I love that phrase in verse 35. When he found him. And when Jesus does, he reveals who he is to this man. That he's the son of God. He's the son of man. That Old Testament figure who's a man, yes, that's why he's called the son of man. But one to whom God gives authority to rule over his world and to judge his world. And one day all the nations will worship him. And Jesus invites this man to believe in this Jesus. The Jesus as he defines himself. And so a greater miracle occurs. Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. If you're looking into Christianity tonight, Jesus loves to open blind eyes. He's the light of the world, and sitting around you tonight is the evidence of that, of people's lives who have been changed by him. That's not because they were anything special. They weren't. We could say tonight, we are blind beggars. But Jesus worked a miracle in our lives. And like this man, you may find your growing understanding goes hand in hand with a growing courage because you need both. Because this man understood more. He spoke up. And the opposition didn't put him off the light, it spurred him on, and as his courage grew, he grasped more. And God works in both. So don't be surprised if you find yourself saying, perhaps to colleagues, yes, I've been going along to church on Sunday evenings, or I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to keep reading the Bible. And even if friends mock you, you want to find out more about Jesus. And then spiritual sight means believing in Jesus as he has revealed himself. Not other people's ideas about him, not even your own ideas, but what he says and submitting to his authority and worshipping him. And if you're here tonight and you can see, you believe Jesus is the Lord, well, praise God. Like, that is his work in you. Like, we may all have different stories of how Jesus opened our eyes. Perhaps it was a slow, gradual process. Perhaps it was different. Whatever they are, they are all works of God in our lives. We didn't heal ourselves. He did. And doesn't this man challenge us to speak of the difference Jesus has made in our lives? It's easy at times to think, I, I can't tell the gospel well. Or my story isn't very interesting. Or when I'm more confident, when I've read that book, when I've gone on that course, then I'll speak up. Well, don't make something up, but speak up. I was blind, but now I see. And it'll be costly. You might look foolish and stuck for an answer. Your parents might try to explain it away. Your friends might stop speaking to you. It'll take courage. But if Jesus really is the light of the world, isn't he worth it? This man, is that you? Would you like it to be you? But there's another group they're the Pharisees. Those who see will become blind. Now, you might expect the religious leaders, you know, those who knew the Scriptures well, to have understood what was going on and to see God's work in this man. But they don't. And so as they interview him for the first time, All they can see is the mud and the washing. And because this all happened on the Sabbath, when all this work is forbidden, some of them conclude, verse 16, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, some of them recognize that this could be a sign that Jesus is the Messiah. But for many of them, Jesus doesn't fit their categories. They're blinkered to who he is. Now, they've heard from the neighbors, and they've heard from the man himself, but still they call in his parents, and look how they treat them. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? Like, don't you think his parents would have known? And that you could trust what they say, but no, they reject them. There's living proof right in front of them, but they can't see it. There's nothing wrong with the evidence, the problems with them. They're blind to the light. And it seems that nothing will shift them from the verdict that they've decided on. And the man tells them that. You're not listening to me. And that really sets them off. Because if this man's honest about what he doesn't know, they are super confident about what they know, and they're right. How dare you lecture us? On my bookshelf, I have this book. It's my history exercise book from my second and third year at high school. And I was such a geek back then and loved history and had such an inspirational history teacher that I put a sticker on the cover that says, history is fun. (laughs) Like, how sad is that? But the first topic, the first topic in it, in the book, my exercise book, is about those explorers who went out from Europe in the 15th century and they traveled across the Atlantic and they went down the coast of Africa. And some of them circumnavigated the globe and at that time many people, almost everyone believed that the earth was flat and that the water just flowed over the edge like a kind of great waterfall and people imagined that there were monsters lurking there at the edge and that when ships reached the edge they would just fall off and these monsters would get them and people couldn't understand how on the other side of the world how trees could grow downwards or how in what's now Australia, you know, in New Zealand, how snow and rain could fall upwards. And we hear those kind of ideas today and we laugh at them and we think, how stupid. And yet all that changed whenever the explorers came back and they spoke about a round earth and you could go on thinking that the earth was flat, but those explorers were the evidence of a new reality. And many people today think that Christianity is is based on faith and not on evidence. And that faith has no basis to it. As one writer put it, faith is the great excuse to evade the need to think and to evaluate evidence. Faith is the belief in spite of or because of the lack of evidence. And so not being a Christian... Is the rational option, the one based on the evidence? But is it? Can't unbelief be irrational at times? Like, look at these Pharisees. Like, the evidence is in front of them, but they can't see it, and they don't want to see it. And yet, John has written his gospel, he has given us evidence. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What keeps you from believing? Maybe it's that if Jesus really is God, then you would have to let him rule your life. Or you react to being asked to be one of his disciples because you think, Along with that lot, or you feel, or maybe you feel you don't need Jesus to get a grip on reality because you've worked it all out for yourself—that science and psychology has the answers—or maybe what blinds you is your religious belief. Like you know the theology, and you look down on those who don't know it, and you've been part of the church for years, and but you've never actually accepted Jesus for who he is, and you haven't worshipped him, and to admit that would be too costly, too embarrassing. So maybe the issue isn't the evidence. Don't shut your eyes to the evidence, but be honest with yourself, and above all, ask God to help you see To reveal your blindness to you. Jesus has the remedy for it. He loves to give sight. So which character are you? Or which character would you like to be? Because as our story ends, Jesus reappears. Now you can't be him. He's God and you're not. But from him we see why spiritual sight is so important. Because this story begins with a man with physical blindness, and with a question about suffering, a question many of us, if not all of us, ask. Why? What caused this? Whose fault was it? Why is he blind? And Jesus says, don't blame him or don't blame his parents. Don't draw draw a straight line from his sin to his suffering. Now, Jesus doesn't say more than that, although the Bible does have more to say about that. But Jesus does say that although this suffering is terrible, actually, it has a purpose. Why is he blind? So God could make his work visible That God can use this suffering, any suffering, for good. And he does. Jesus sees and heals and transforms this man. But as our story ends, Jesus wants us to see that there's something worse than physical blindness. And that's spiritual blindness. Verse 40 some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind to?" And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You know, if you have a problem with your sight, you, know, you go to the doctor, you go to Specsavers, and they can treat you. Or if you're physically blind... You know you are and you can receive assistance and help. But if you're spiritually blind, not only are you blind, but you can be blind to your own blindness. You can think you can see, but you don't know that you don't. And that's a terrible place to be. And Jesus says, there's not a direct link between sin and suffering, but there is between sin and spiritual blindness. You can't see Jesus. You're blind to your sin. Your guilt remains. And yet Jesus hasn't come into this world simply to judge, but he has come as the light of the world. He doesn't want to leave us in the dark. He found this man. He has found many people in this room tonight, and he is still finding people. And those he finds, he gives sight to. He opens blind eyes so they can see him in all his beauty and goodness and power to see our world in a new light and to walk in that light and so find life. And that's the difference Jesus makes. So let's respond to Jesus like this blind man. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's words. And these characters in the story and who we are. Then let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us so much that you have sent someone into our world who can open the eyes of the blind. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the light of the world. We pray, Lord, tonight that you would enable us to see, to see you in all of your beauty and goodness and power. Please, Lord, have mercy on us. Help us to see clearly. Help us to walk in the light, in your light. And so live for you this week. In your name we pray. Amen.